Thank you for tuning in to Valley Rise Church. We're so glad you decided to join us today. For more information on sermon series and service times, you can visit us online at valleyrisechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. The moms, happy Mother's Day. And, and wow, you know, happy Mother's Day. And for every guy, happy say yes to whatever she asks you to do day. Um, this is, I realized that there was a guy version of this day too, and it wasn't Father's Day. It was on Mother's Day. You just do, you just say yes to everything. So she's like, I want to go shopping. Yes. Will you keep all the kids? Yes. Will you stay up with the kids? Yes. You know, even when you don't really want to. But I'll tell you this, man. I, um, we just had our third child. My wife is in the back with our third child who's like a week and a half, two weeks old. So awesome. She's great. Yeah. Hey, Awesome. She's a, she's a machine for being here. She has C-section, so she's been laid up for the last week and a half most of the time. And in the last week and a half, I realized something really important, uh, that I was not made to be a stay-at-home dad, is what I realized. That, like, there is, like, Jesus and Superman and, like, moms and, and single moms are above that because I do not understand how in the world. I don't have the patience. I don't have the time. I don't have the, the tenderness. You know, the, can I have a snack? I'm like, you just had a snack. They're like, I'm hungry again. I'm like, you're going to eat at dinner. You're not, like, it's one in the, it's one in the morning. I'm like, well, you're going to wait all day. You know, not until dinner tomorrow. I mean, like, I could not do what you moms do. And so from, from our heart to you guys, thank you so much, moms. You're so pivotal and so important to everything and every single person here. It's a proven fact that if your mom was never born, neither would you be. And so we are super grateful for you guys. Hey, let's pray and we'll jump into it. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the gift of mothers. Thank you for the gift of blessing us with people who love us endlessly, who are there for us, who care for us when no one else does, who are a shoulder to cry on when we need it, who are always loving and always forgiving and always gracious, God. We're so grateful for the, the part of your heart that mothers showed us. We love them and we just bless every single mother, every single grandmother today. We pray that today would be the greatest day for them, that they would feel loved, they would feel appreciated, they would feel cherished. Bless them, watch over them, and keep them in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Well, as we talk about mothers, and as I begin to think about my mom, you know, you get to Mother's Day and you think about your mom, and you begin to think about the good things that your mom did, and I think a lot of times you begin to think about maybe some of the things you wish your mother didn't do, and as I was writing out this message, very aware that all of us are in different positions of a relationship with our parents, and some of us would say, my mom's the greatest in the world, and some of us maybe don't know our moms or would go, God, like, you don't want to know my mom, she's not the greatest in the world, but I believe that God has a word for us today from both ends of the spectrum, and that he wants to meet you exactly where you're at. I want to talk to you today about one of the most famous Jews that ever lived in the world. I think if you asked any Jew and on the face of the earth who was the most important Jew that ever lived, they would give you all the same answer. Without fail, every single one of them would say the prophet Moses, and they consider Moses to be their greatest prophet next to Jesus. And so the prophet Moses, and I actually text, I have a rabbi in Beverly Hills who I'm very close with, and so anytime I do stuff that's going back in the Jewish history, I always text him and ask him, you know, tell me, what would you say about Moses? And he said, Moses is the most pivotal character of the Jewish story that has ever existed. Without Moses, there would be no Jewish people. There would be no Israel. There would be no, we wouldn't have even existed. There is no more pivotal character than the person of Moses. 
You ask why, you know, why Moses? Well, Moses, as many of you know, was, was the one that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. The children of Israel were in Egypt, enslaved for 400 years. They kept believing that God would deliver them, that God would deliver them, that God would deliver them. And finally, God raises up Moses. Moses goes in, delivers the children of Israel. They go, you know the story, they wander for 40 years. They finally get to the promised land. And for the rest of eternity to this day, I was just in Israel a year ago, they reference it like it happened yesterday. You talk about anything and they'll go, well, just like, just like Abba brought us out of the land of Egypt with Moses, with the prophet Moses. And you go, like, like to them, it is the most real humanization of God's love for them that they've ever accepted. Because it was a cry that they thought would never be answered. And then now, after 400 years, for them to be freed and for it to be by the hand of Moses via God. For them, there is no one more important. But as I begin to look into Moses' story, I begin to realize, just like many of you know, Behind every great man is, is most of the time a great woman, but for sure there is a great mom behind every great man. And, and all of us that, that would point back to the person who raised us, the person who influenced us, you would go, okay, my mom was a pivotal part of that. Countless nights that my mom would, would encourage me or that when you fall off your bike and you're little, you know that they're, okay, let's get you up and we're going to take care of that. And then when you're, I, I'm finding now that when you need to be fed and my mom, when my mom told me this, it didn't make sense until I had kids. She would say, Christian, you would feed seven to nine times a night. And I was breastfed, okay? So she was like, you would breastfeed seven to nine times a night. And as, you know, when you're like a teenager, you're like, what, isn't that normal? I don't know. I guess that's normal. And until I had kids and like, if they feed more than three times, I'm like, we're going to let them starve tonight. Like they can just, we're not doing this. Three times a night, four times, this is crazy. And every time I'm up in the middle of the night dealing with the baby or giving, him, giving her to mom or changing a diaper, or I remind myself of how much my mother loved me to not strangle me at three o'clock in the morning on one of these mornings. And, and so behind every great man, most always is a great woman, someone that invested into them, someone that poured into them, someone that loved them. And so I begin to look at Moses and go, who is the woman behind the story of Moses? Many of you don't know, and we're going to talk about her today, but there is a great backstory to the person of Moses that had it not been for her, Moses would not be Moses, Israel would not be Israel, the Jews would not be the Jewish people today. Let's talk about it. Exodus 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi, his name was Amram, married a Levite woman. Her name was Jochebed. Great name, but I don't recommend any of you naming your daughters that. Um, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, which is, this is funny because Moses is actually the person that wrote the first five books of the Bible. So this is him writing this about him, okay? When my mom saw that I looked so good, she was like, we gotta keep this one. She saw that he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter, and let me just pause for a second if you're wondering why she had to hide him. At this point in history, Pharaoh has come out and said the Israelites are growing too great in number. If they keep reproducing like this, we won't be able to hold them captive. They'll eventually outpopulate us. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. Every child that's born that's a male child, we're going to kill. We're going to throw into the river, okay, and, and we won't let the men reproduce anymore. We'll cut down the population. So for people that were pregnant, this, was, this wasn't good news that you were getting if you were pregnant. It was horrible news. It was, dear God, please don't let me have a boy 
boy, because if we have a boy, I know that I'm going to have to turn him over, that they're going to kill him, that it's going to be hopeless for me to even carry. And let me tell you this, anyone who's been pregnant or has, a, maybe your wife's been pregnant, you know what nine months of carrying a child looks like. And to think of that ending in the child's murder, I can't even fathom. The nights that you carry the baby and you're uncomfortable and you're rubbing cream on your stomach so you don't get stretch marks and you're, you're trying to make do things that are normally normal and comfortable. Now it's uncomfortable and you got to maneuver yourself and you, gotta, you can't carry the things you And imagine nine months of that going on and then knowing I'm carrying this child for no reason. Because if this child comes out, there is a 50-50 chance that I have to sacrifice my child. I can't even imagine. So this is why she hit him. The baby came out. She realizes it is a boy. By law, I'm supposed to give the child to Egypt. They're going to kill the child. She hides the child. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female, servant, her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, so his sister's following along to watch. Ask Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. What an amazing story. What an amazing mom. What an amazing thing as we watch this play out of this woman who goes, okay, I should have to give this child up. And in this whole story, I'm reading it, and I'm asking probably maybe what some of you are asking. Where is Amram? Where is his dad? We don't hear anything about his dad anymore. We don't see. But you think, I don't know about you, but I think if it was my child, I would be in the story. Like I'd be watching the reed, the, the, the basket go through the reeds too. I'd be helping mom hide the child. I'd be doing whatever I could to protect my child as well. And so it led me to ask the question, where, where was the dad? What is that? What, why isn't he mentioned? So I go back to my rabbi friend and I start doing studies. And, and listen, we have the Bible, which is awesome and it's amazing. It's the living word of God. I love it so much. When you go into the Jewish culture, they've got like, like we have, um, we have books on, on American history, but then there's a part of us that's American history. Each one of you has a story where you'll go, yeah, my great-grandmother came over from Ireland. And, you know, both of my great-great-grandmothers came over from Ireland on boats. My father's from Mexico. And his great, my great-grandfather came up from Mexico. My father, and you begin to tell these stories that you know personally. They're personal to you because you live them. So this is kind of like the Jewish culture. So anytime I want to know about it, you go back and ask them because they've got such a different history on what we just have the Bible. They have all these historical books that reference people's names. This is their great, 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 great grandfathers. And this is their, and so I called him. I said, you know, tell me what happened. And he said, well, Christian, in the Midrash, which is another section of their history that, that goes along with the Bible, the Talmud and the Torah. He begins to tell me that her, his father, Amram, was one of the leaders of what they called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like their religious hierarchy. It was kind of like their government. And when he found out his wife was pregnant, he was so frustrated, which you like, that's kind of your fault too, Amram, Okay. Um, he was so frustrated that he went to her and said, there's no point for us to even be married. If, 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 we, if we're married so that we can sleep together, and when we sleep together, we have children, and when we have children, they have to be killed, there's no point for us to even be married. I'm going to divorce you. So he divorces his wife, and when he does, because his position was so powerful, all of the other men, all of the other Israelite men left their wives as well. So now at this point, 
Jochebed is there. Her husband's left. She's got a kid and one, on, one that has just been born, and it's just her, and it's on Mama. Now it's on mama to figure out what are we going to do? What are we, are we going to turn this child over? Are we gonna, how are we going to raise this baby? Because we can't hide the baby long enough. Because eventually they'll find out that we have a boy and they'll want to kill the baby. And I begin looking at the story and watching as she progressed through this. And I begin to realize that not only does she have the heart of God, but I believe that she has the heart of most mamas that, that, were, that raised us. What is that? Number one, mamas are fighters. Mamas are fighters. How many of you have those stories of your mama when you just like, like my mama is normally even kill, okay? She's like very low key. She's a nice lady. She's very godly. She's praised. She loves people. But do not mess with her kids, okay? Come on, y'all know, I mean, I remember we'd bring girls home and, and like we'd bring a girl home and be like, hey mom, this is my girlfriend. And she'd be like, oh, you know, sweet. And she'd leave and she'd be like, I will run them over in a dark alley, okay? That little thought does not need to be with you. And I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Like, do not play with mama. Don't bring her back here and let me find her in the streets. I'm like, dear God. Like, we're... Mama don't play. I'll never forget being on my sixth grade field trip. And my teacher, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, a, I was a joyful child. I was um, a, little, a little active, maybe even hyperactive at times. Okay, but I just liked life is what I like to say. And so... My teachers loved me in a special way, um, which means they hated me. And I'll never forget being on this bus, and I wanted to sit next to one of my friends. We were going on a field trip, you know, school field trip. You're going to, I think we're maybe going to Houston or New Orleans or whatever, wherever we're going. And so we get on the bus, and I get next to my friend, and I'm like, you know, you're, you're fun. I mean, this is awesome. You field trip, you're sixth grade. You're like the first time you're going to do anything. My mom was, but all the parents, you know, they sit up in the front. And so you don't want to sit by your mom. You don't want to sit with any adults because you're in sixth grade, and it's time to talk about what sixth graders talk about, like who you think is cute and, like, if you could hold hands with anyone, who would it be and all the fun things that you do in sixth grade. So I sit next to my best friend, Matt Prudham, and we start talking, you know, how this is so awesome. You got these armrests and the bathrooms right here. I don't know, things that sixth graders are excited about. And my teacher, Mr. Echeverria, comes over. God, Mr. Echeverria hated me. And he comes over, and he's like, uh-uh, Christian, you're not sitting with him. You're sitting with me. And I'm like, <laughs> why would I have to sit with you? Like, this is the worst field trip. This just went from the greatest field trip to the worst field trip. And so I'm very compliant, though, and so I go and I sit there, and, like, my best friend's just kind of like, that sucks. Like, I'm sorry, you got to sit with Mr. Echeverria, you know, your school teacher. No one wants to have any fun with your school teacher on the field trips. And sitting there, my mom looks back, and she can see. Now, I, am, I, am an, I was a far more emotional child. I'm an emotional person in general, but I was an emotional child. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, she looks back, and I see her see me. And I have that look on my face, like you mamas, you know when it's about to happen, when they're about to cry. And I'm just like trying to hold it in because you don't want to cry in sixth grade on the field trip with everybody because then you're not holding nobody's hand, okay? So I'm sitting there and I'm trying not to cry. My mom looks back there and she gives me this look like, you know, like what's wrong? And I'm just like, I'm like just trying, just don't come back here, mom. You come back here, I'm going to cry, okay? My mom comes back here. And I'm holding it in, and she walks back there, and she goes, what, what, what's the problem? And I'll never forget, she walks over, and when she realized what the problem was, because she saw, she knew I was sitting my friend, and then she knew I wasn't somewhere, and she walks over, and she puts her hands on the seat, and she goes, is there a problem? And I was like, uh-oh, there is now. Woo! There's a problem now, mama. 
And Mr. Retrovere said, well, you know, I just wanted him to sit with me because she goes, "Uh uh-uh. He was sitting with his friend, okay? You can have someone else sit with you. His mom was on the trip. He's not doing anything crazy. He just sat down. You go sit with your friend. And Mr. Echeverria, you stay there. I'm like, you stay there, Mr. Echeverria. I'm going to sit with my friends. I'm holding everybody's hand. Hand holding. Who wants to hold hands today? I was just like, because mamas are fighters. And I believe that when Jacobed saw the decree go out and realized there's a chance I have to give this child up, that she said, listen, Pharaoh, you can write whatever you want to write on them papers, Pharaoh. You ain't taking my baby, okay? You, you want to come down here into the Jewish hood and try and take my baby? It's not happening. I'm going to get me a basket, and you ain't seeing Pharaoh. You ain't seeing Moses again, okay? But you ain't getting him neither. And so mamas are fighters, so she comes up with this scheme of we're going to put him in a basket. And even, you know, even in that, the thought of, I had the thought of people who give their children up for adoption and know that this is what's best. I'm going to have to give my child up for the betterment of them. But how painful is a mother or someone who carried this child for nine months, the pains that go with pregnancy, that they were the one that nursed this baby. And now three months after nursing and bonding with this child, they go, okay, I'm going to now give this child back. God, I'm going to trust you with this child. God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to put this baby in this basket and I'm going to trust you because I'm not giving him to Pharaoh. She puts him in the basket because mamas are fighters. When daddy dipped out, mama dug in. And I'll tell you, there, I've seen it a million times. I travel a lot for what I get to do. I love to travel and I get to travel a lot. And I am, I am so impressed. I've been dating Alex since, since she was 16. And, and I mean, we've been together a long time. It is so impressive when you watch someone grow like that. Where you go, I know the 16-year-old girl that I fell in love with. And then you watch as she becomes a mom. And you watch as she becomes a mom of two. And you watch as yesterday she called me. I mean, she is a week and a half out from having a C-section. I'm out doing stuff, running errands, going to graduation parties, hanging out with people. And she calls me. She goes, I got up. I got all the kids ready. I fed everybody. The kids, are, you know, everybody's good. I'm like, you are a machine. Like, this is... My respect and admiration grows for her every time that I watch because when daddy can't be there, when I have to go, when, when, when dad leaves the family, mamas are the ones that dig in and mamas ensure that the house stays complete. Number two, mamas will always find a way. Mamas will always find a way. Come on, mamas, you know, you got up for lunch, you, you forget to get lunch maybe the night before, you go in the kitchen, there's a hot dog and two pieces of bread, but you got three kids to feed, and you're like, okay, listen, we're cutting this thing in thirds, we're wrapping it around, the bread, I'm slicing it, we're wrapping it around, there's going to be a Pinterest plate after this, okay, but you turn a hot dog and two pieces of bread into a Pinterest platter, like, I mean, by the way, Pinterest is, is, is it's some days it's of the Lord and some days it's of the devil, I've discovered. Because there are days where I'm like, where did you do this? This is amazing. She's like, Pinterest. I'm like, Pinterest is my best friends. And then there's days I come in and there's glue everywhere and popsicle sticks and crayons. And I'm like, what is this? She's like, we were trying this Pinterest thing. And then I don't, I don't know what happened. I blacked out now everything's colored. And... But mamas will always find a way. I'll, I'll never forget my mom. I was, um, I was 18. I was in my senior year of high school. And I don't think I've ever fully shared my story with you guys. And one day I will. But I, my junior year of high school, I got kicked out of a school in Louisiana. I came up here right outside of the Houston area to go to a school up here and play basketball for a man who just loved me and had pity on me. And so I move up here. And I, halfway through my senior year, I was like, I'm dropping out of school. I'm dropping out of school. And I'm marrying my girlfriend. And we're just going to figure it out. you know, Because that's like a a good plan when you're 18. You're like, we're just going to figure it out. We're going to get married. As long as we married, we can do this. And uh, 
I, I did not intend to tell you all this, but I just remembered this. The girl that I almost dropped out of high school from that is not from here, and I was not from here. When we moved into our neighborhood, I have to tell you, this is so crazy. We move into our neighborhood. My wife is going for a jog. She comes back, and she goes, um, you're never going to guess what just happened. I'm like, I have no clue what just happened. I'm just reading. She's like, look out the window. So I look out the window, and there's a lady pushing a stroller. You know, I'm like, okay. She's like, you know who that is? I'm like, no clue who that is. She's like, that's your ex-girlfriend, Priscilla, who you almost married. And live, she lives like five houses down. I'm like, oh, the devil is after me. She was a midget, though. Like, she was real, real short. She was like five, five foot maybe. I'm 6'4", so it looked weird. It wouldn't have worked out anyways. But long story short, I wanted to leave high school. I wanted to marry this girl. It was in my mind that my path was set. It was going to happen. And I'll never forget my mom one day driving up here and driving up to Schulenburg, Texas. I don't know if you know where Schulenburg, Texas is. It's in the middle of nowhere. And she gets there and she goes, I want to spend the weekend with you. And I'm like, God, 18, when you're 18, being a mama's boy is not cool. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's not, it's cool. Like, like 15, there's a line. Like I could sleep in bed with my mom, 14, I could snuggle with her. Like it's cool. 14, 15, you start like, okay, mom, like don't kiss me in public. Like don't hold my hand. Like this is weird. And then 18, you definitely don't want, cause your mom comes to school and everybody's like, is that your mom? God, your mom's hot. Like, and you're like, oh my God, like I got to deal with this. And then don't hold my hand, mom. That makes it weird. So it's not cool to be a mama's boy when you're 18. So my mama comes up and she goes, we're going to spend the weekend together. And I'm like, goodness gracious, okay, like we'll spend the weekend together. And we go to Katie Mills. She goes, let's go shopping. We go to Katie Mills. And she's smart. Mamas, you're smart. I'm on to you. She takes me shopping. She buys me stuff, you know. She's like, we go eat. She's like, you know, isn't this awesome? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you ain't marrying that little girl, okay. And I do mean little. I'm like, <laughs> And, and we begin to have a conversation that changed the trajectory of my life. We begin to have one of those mama-son conversations, mama's like only you can have, where she goes, I love you. And I want you to know, God's got plans for you. God's got a future for you. This isn't it. Trust me, I know I'm your mama. And mamas, you know. You know when you know, mamas. Trust me, I know. This is not it for you. Okay, just hang in there. I believe in you. You're going to be great. You're going to be awesome. And I'll never forget in my final act of defiance, she didn't know that I had started smoking cigarettes, turned 18, got me a pack of cigarettes. And I walked out at Katie Mills Mall and I pulled out a cigarette. I said, I'm going to throw her with this. Like, I'm going to smoke a cigarette. She's going to just going to be like, I'm done with you. Marry the girl if you want. And lit up a cigarette and I'm just standing there. And she just <laughs> looks at me. She goes, that doesn't even look attractive on you, Christian. <laughs> and walked off. And I was like... <laughs> Well, all right. My mom says I'm ugly. Now I got to put it out. You know, like, you know, when your mom says you're ugly, it's a whole different level. Mamas will always find a way to keep you in your destiny. And just like my mom came and saved me from what, what was impending, Jacobed goes and goes, listen, I'm going to find a way to keep this child alive. I'm going to put this child down the river. Not only does she do that, but I love it because mama's not only is she rewarded with her son not dying, she ends up getting paid to take care of her son. They come back and she goes, okay, listen, I'm going to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child. And Pharaoh's daughter goes, yes, go find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child. She goes, she finds one, brings her back. Now the mom is standing there in front of the child she just gave up. And Pharaoh's daughter goes, okay, listen, take this child, raise him, nurse him, and I'll pay you. Mama, that's a win. I don't know if you know that. That's a win. Like, how many of you would be awesome if someone showed up at your house and was like, I'm going to pay you to raise your children? You'd be like, goodness gracious, the Lord is real. Like the devil's a liar. This is awesome. She shows up and goes, I'm going to pay you 
to take care of your own child that you just trusted God with and gave up. Think of the irony of that whole situation. And I love it because even when times when mamas, you have to let something go and mamas, you got to trust God. God is so faithful to return to you mamas what you give up. Your, your sacrifice, years of your life, your body. And every mama said, amen. My wife stands in the mirror every morning and goes, do I look smaller today? I'm like, it's, we, we, we eight days in. Like, I don't know how small are you supposed to look? Like, I don't, you just had the baby. <laughs> like, but you know, dads, yes, you look so small. You just had a child? I didn't, I didn't know that. Ah, okay, you've been working out. You sacrifice yourself, literally your body for us for your children. But let me tell you, God has a way, mamas, of returning that to you a hundredfold. That when your children grow old and when your children speak highly of you and when your children love on you and when your children tell people how awesome their mama is and post on Instagram, this is my mama. Let me tell you about my mama. That it is returned to you a hundredfold. Mamas will always find a way, but God will always find a way to return to you what you've given. And number three, mamas are dream keepers. Mamas are dream keepers. I love the fact that the whole future of Israel was entrusted to Jacobin. The whole future of Israel was entrusted to this woman whose husband had just left. She now is there taking care of these children. And God goes, I'm going to give what you've been praying for for 400 years to you, Jacobin. And I'm going to give it to you. And then, like all dreams that God has ever given to any of us, he requires us to give them back to him. It's, it's nothing new. It's from the start when he gave Abraham Isaac. And he goes, bring him back to me. Because he's testing our hearts to see, do you love the dream more than you love me? And so he gives her Moses and goes, listen, I'm going to give you the dream of what your people have been asking for forever. But I'm going to require that you give him back. I'm going to ask you that you would give back the child I just gave you the child that was just delivered, the child that you've been scared about, and now I'm going to ask that you give him back to me. And she trusts God and is so faithful to give the child back. But what I realized in this, as I was looking at it and going, okay, where are the comparisons between her and my mom and always trying to compare and contrast, and that I realized that there was something unique about what she did. She didn't just put a child in a basket and float it down the river. She put the future of her existence, the future of the world around her in this basket, and trusted God with it. Mamas are dream keepers. Her people had been enslaved. Her friends had been enslaved. This wasn't like a little deal. This was a horrible slavery thing. And they take this, this child that she has been entrusted with, the deliverer of the entire country, the deliverer of all of their friends and family. And she takes this child and God goes, I'm going to entrust you, Jacobed, with this dream. And because she's a fighter and because she found a way, she found a way to keep the dream alive. And she takes him and puts him in there. And then God returns the dream back like he always does. And God gives it to her and she begins to raise this child. And I can't imagine the pressures that are on someone when you look at Mary raising Jesus or, or Abraham and Sarah raising Isaac that they knew was going to be the, the founder of all these generations. Or Jacobed raising Moses knowing the future of me is in this child. The future of me and how I care for this child is in this child. It is in his heart. It's in his body. It's in his soul. It's in his actions. Let me tell you this, mamas. You are dream keepers for the next generation. You are dream keepers. 
There are dreams in your children's heart that you will keep for them, that you will keep for the world around you, that you will keep when they forget them. Because I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to quit on the dreams that God put in my heart. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to give up. There's more times I've called my mom and dad in this process of planning a church. And for those of you who don't know our story, we left the second largest church in America. And a group of us came down here to start a church. And we wanted to do the same thing that had happened there. They, they Phenomenal church. It's our home church. We love them. Wanted to do it here and came down here. I've always had a heart for this area since God moved me here. And, and we begin to do this. And there are as many days that this is not an easy journey, that I go, God, what did you do to us? Like, why? We were, this was awesome. We were killing it. We were crushing it. And you moved me out to Tomball, Texas, God. Like, they, what, are you, what are you doing? And I call my mom and dad and go, why did I do this? Why did I, did I, did I mess up? Did I leave the wrong place? Did I go to the right place? Did I? And I'm telling you, there's no voice like a mama's voice when she speaks to me and goes, Christian, you're exactly where God has you. I remember when God put a dream in your heart. I remember when he told us you were going to pastor. I remember when he told us that you were going to do these things. Do not give up, Christian. You're in the right place. Mamas, you are dream keepers. And no one can speak to your child's heart like you can. No one can encourage them like you can. No one can remind them of the dreams and the gifts that have been in them since childhood like you can. Because while we're living this story, you're watching the movie. And you can go back and go, I remember when you were a kid and God spoke to me that he was going to use you. I remember that when you were a child and you said, I always wanted to help people. I remember when you said, if I could do anything in the world, it would be this. Don't give up on that dream. Don't quit on the dream. Mamas, you are dream keepers. And the dreams of a future generations and generations to come are entrusted inside of you. I always, I always tell people when we talk about kids, I don't know much about raising kids. I've, only, I've got three, but we're early on. I got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-week-old, and we're early in this, so I'm no expert. But I do know looking at when my parents raised me, one of the greatest things they ever did was there was not a night that went by that they didn't come to me and encourage me. I'd get in bed, and, and maybe, maybe all day was bad. Maybe I got spanked 17 times, which is possible, and maybe I, me and my brother were fighting, and maybe I'd been punished and grounded and sitting in my room for an hour. And, but every night they would come in bed, and my mom would sit next to me. She'd take my hand. <clears throat> I always cry when I talk about my mom. God, She'd take my hand, <clears throat> and she would say, Son, I love you. I believe in you. You're going to change the world. You're going to do great things. I'm proud of you. Tomorrow's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Hey, we're going to start over tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. I love you. You're going to change the world, Christian Aranza. I never, there wasn't a night that my parents didn't sit next to my bed and tell me that. And then like a mama only can, she would rub my head and kiss me. And again, that got weird at 15. I was like, don't rub my head anymore. Don't kiss me, mama. But looking back, I just covet those times. I cherish those times that my mom would sit there and remind me of the dreams that God put in my heart. Mamas, there is no dream keeper like you. What would we do without you reminding us of the things that we've longed to do our whole lives? What would we do without you encouraging us? Who would speak life into us? Who would speak the, 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 the hope and the future of what God had inside of us if it wasn't for you? Mamas, you were dream keepers. As I close, I remember thinking that as I was going through this, there wasn't, there wasn't much of a difference when I began to look at this between the heart of a mama in the heart of God, I begin to look at this and go, okay, God, how do you tie into this? How do you tie into to the heart that you gave moms? Because all of us are is just a piece of what God is. 
God made us in his image. He gave us a part of him. And so, men, we have a part of God. We got the masculine part of God. You know, we got the, we got the strong part of God. We, got, with the, we, 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 we are men. We are strong. We can make it happen. We can figure it out. Women, you've got a part of God that's so special. And it's so tender. And it's loving. And it's as strong as it is tender. And God chose to give you a part of him that only you could fulfill in someone's life. And I was looking at this, and I remember having the thought, what about the people whose moms aren't like my mom? What about those of you that maybe in this process of life, you, your, your parents maybe hit a bump, or your mom hit a bump, or maybe you look back and you go, man, my, my mom would do some things differently if she was honest with us or with herself, or maybe she's hurting and trying to figure out some areas of life. And I begin to hurt for those of you in that position. I begin to go, God, like I hate that for people. I hate that the enemy has robbed families of, of someone that is so key to, to, a, to a family. And God spoke to me and he said, Christian, just like I'm a father to the fatherless, I've positioned myself and I have character traits of me that can fill in for when a mother cannot fill in. And I begin to look back and I begin to realize that just like mamas are fighters, God is a fighter. God is a fighter for you. He goes before you. He's behind you. He walks with you. Everywhere we go, he is with us. God is a fighter for whatever situation you are in. And then I begin to realize that not only is God a fighter, but God will always find a way. Romans 8, 28 tells us that God will work together all things for the good of those that love him. God will always find a way. He will take what seems horrible. He will take the worst situation you could be in, just like Jacobed's in, and he will turn it around and go, I will always find a way to turn it for your good. I will always find a way to make it come out in your favor. Because God is for you. God is fighting on your behalf. He loves you and cares about you and is there for you when no one in the world is there for you. He is fighting for you. He will always find a way. He is a fighter. And then lastly, God is a dream keeper. God is the greatest dream keeper there ever was. That he would look down and entrust the future of eternity to us, to people. That his plan for changing the earth, his plan for fixing everything, his plan for reaching a hurting world is you, it's me, it's us. That he would take his dream of restoring his lost children back to him it says he leaves the 99 to go after the one. If the one is that important, he entrusts us with rescuing the one. That he goes, the only thing I have to reach them is you. It's you. And so he gives us his dream. And he puts his dream in our heart. And he goes, listen, I'm entrusting you with the greatest dream I could ever have. And I'm entrusting you with the future of eternity. And I'm entrusting you with lives and families and marriages and relationships. I'm entrusting you with them. Because you never know who you're going to encounter. And you never know who needs to hear from you that they're loved. And who needs to hear from you that they're cared for. And who needs to hear from you that you're a dream keeper. And who needs to hear from you that you're not going to quit on them. And who needs to hear from you that you're going to fight for them. God entrusts us with the greatest dream ever. And it's the dream of bringing his kingdom here on earth. He loves you. He is for you. There are dreams in some of your hearts that maybe you've thought have gone away, that you've thought God forgot about, that you thought you walked away from. And I want to tell you today, just like God is a defender and a father, he is a mother in the ways that he will never let you forget the dream in your heart. There's dreams in your heart that he gave you for a reason, that he didn't intend for somebody else to do them, he intended for you to do them. And he put them there because only you can fulfill them. 
And that day will come when you will fulfill them. Let this be an encourager. Let this be a reminder. For those of you that have a mama, thank God. For those of you who don't, I want to tell you there's a dream in your heart that hasn't gone away, that God's going to use, that he's going to do something inside of you. God is not done with you. He's got a dream for you. God is a dream keeper. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that God, in, in, in a world that at times can seem chaotic, you still, and just like a mother, you step in and bring clarity. You bring comfort. You bring support, God. You bring hope. You bring encouragement to our hearts. We're so grateful, Jesus. We're so grateful, God, that, that you structured yourself in such a way that you could speak to the side of us that needed a mother and you could speak to the side of us that needed a father that you truly are a father to the fatherless and that you truly do gather us like a mother hen gathers her hens and you care for us and protect us. God, we love you and we're so grateful. We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your heart. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as I was talking, you may have, may have heard me talk about this relationship with Jesus and, and maybe this relationship about him being a father and him rescuing you and him saving you and, and maybe there's something in your heart that you go, Christian, I've never had that relationship with God. Maybe I've had religion or, or I've had church, but I've never encountered a relationship with God like what you were talking about, where he loves me and protects me, where he's for me, where he encourages me, where he's my biggest fan. I've never had that, Christian. I thought maybe God was mad at me or God was upset with me or I was working to be good enough or trying hard enough to be good enough. And, and today I realize that's not what it's about. It's about being in a relationship with someone who loves me and cares for me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is between you and Jesus. If that's you and you say, Christian, today I want to start that kind of relationship with him. Would you raise your hand for me? Amen. Amen. Last time, if that's you and you say, Christian, my heart's beating out of my chest. I know God has called me to start that relationship. Today, I want to begin that. Last chance, if that's you, would you raise your hand one more time? Amen. Amen. Now, you can repeat after me and listen. You can pray this in your heart. You can pray this out loud. This is between you and Jesus, so I just want you to mean it, as long as you mean it. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead so that I could have new life. Thank you for saving me from myself. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you want to have a relationship with me. And today I choose to begin that relationship. Today I become a follower of Jesus Christ. I take on a relationship with you. And I begin learning what it looks like to walk hand in hand with you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me new life. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Hey, would you give a hand to those who just made the greatest decision of their lives? Amen, amen. Hey, mothers, thank you so much for being here with us today. Kids that got drug along, thank you so much for coming with your mama. I know it made their heart happy. We're so grateful for each and every one of you. This doesn't happen without you.
grateful that you're here. Valley Rise Church is a dream that was in my heart many years ago that God and my mom and dad never, ever, ever let me forget. So all of us are walking in that and so grateful, mamas, for y'all there. And you could, We could celebrate you for a week and it wouldn't be enough. Love you guys. Hey, if you came prepared to worship with your giving today, we got three ways that you can do that. You can give in an offering envelope. You can give online, valleyrisechurch.com and click the giving tab. Or you can text Valley Rise and the amount to 77296. Like I say every Sunday, because I believe it's important that you hear me say it, I will never ask you for money. I always ask you to ask God. The Bible says that each man should decide in his own heart what the Lord would have him give. So we trust that if you'd ask God, we trust him, and, and we're good with whatever he tells you to do. So, hey, we'll pray over this, and then we'll get out of here. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for every single person here. Thank you for the people that make this happen, God. We could not do this without you. We could not do it without your, your love, God, and, and, and your provision. We're so thankful for it. We just pray you bless every gift and every giver, God. We thank you so much for the hearts of these people, that they are on the ground level of beginning, God, what is a church that will change a city. We love you, and we're so grateful that we get to serve you, Jesus. Bless this offering in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Valley Rise Church. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we'll see you soon.